The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you, as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood, will be destined for burning, will be a fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The second reading is taken from chapter 1 of Luke's account of the life of Jesus, the birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Taken from the first chapter of Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Luke chapter 2 continues with the shepherds and the angels. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned 
glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Matthew chapter 2, the visit of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he'd called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd Sorry, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This last reading taken from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Citing John the Apostle, who witnessed the life of Jesus explain that Jesus is called himself who came into this world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light was gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world 
did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the light to become children of God. Children not children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, made and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. You can find the uh, Isaiah 9 passage in your order of service if you would like to, to use that as I be preaching, uh, speaking from that passage. Well, what's Christmas really about? What is Christmas really about? Is it really about turkey and all the trimmings? Is it about singing on the street corner choirs? Is it time spent with one another? They're all good things, aren't they? They're good things. But what is Christmas really all about? Isaiah 9, I think, gives us two things to think about. It says that Christmas is about dealing with the, the darkness and it's about opening a gift. Let's think about the first one of those. It's about dealing with the darkness. Isaiah 9 begins, the people walking in darkness. As a teenager, I grew up in, uh, on a farm in Scotland and at night, when it went dark... It really was dark. I was, I don't mind admitting this, scared of the dark. I used to keep a night light on. I'm sure some of you may do that. But Christmas was great. Christmas was different because in most of the rooms uh, there were lights on. Uh, lights of all kinds of description. Fairy lights, tree lights, candle lights, which lit the house up. And for those two weeks of the year, I lived without fear. I lived without gloom and darkness. And I want to suggest in the same way that Christmas can light up our lives in every room, in our hearts, so that we can live without fear, live without gloom, so we don't have to be Afraid. But what are we afraid of? Darkness, yes. But what is it about the darkness that fills us with fear? The reading goes on on those living in the land of deep darkness. And our English translation here, deep darkness, literally means death's shadow. We live. In death's shadow, death casts a shadow over everything. We might be tempted to say, oh, well, Eddie, that that was back then when 
People died young. And it's true, isn't it? I was reading about the, the black deaths in London. The estimated, estimations vary, um, but it, it was a, a, as high as 50% of the population. And yet, it's true, isn't it? Many people, many commentators say we live more in death's shadow than ever. Why is that? Because in some way we've, we've hidden death away. Most of us have probably not seen a dead body. It's dealt with by professionals clinically and discreetly. Yet the death rate has not changed. One in one, I last checked. We live in a land of death's shadow. At the same time, we lost, haven't we, any certainty about what comes after death. You see, for thousands of years, people um, believed in some sort of afterlife. And so despite plagues and, and, and uh, pestilence and black death, they were not dominated by death at all, or the fear of death, as we are today. But today... Nobody is sure about what there is to come next, about God, about heaven, about hell. And if, if that's the case, it's, if that's the case, we live more now than ever in death's shadow. And if we're honest enough to admit it, it actually makes our lives a little bit meaningless, doesn't it? And I think you're probably beginning to think, Eddie, gosh, I'm so glad I came to this Carols by Candlelight tonight. Still, I'm going to go even one notch down a bit. Why, without an afterlife, is our life meaningless? Imagine... It's your day off. You're doing all the things that you enjoy doing the most. You're walking the dog in Greenwich Park, listening to your favourite music, probably Michael Bublé. You have lunch um, at the sail loft, followed by a nice macchiato at the Green Cafe while reading your favourite book. All the things that make you happy and fulfilled... These are the things that you enjoy, the things you really relish in. And then suddenly a murderer jumps you and says, I'm going to kill you today. There's no possibility to escape. But since I'm a merciful murderer, I don't know whether such a thing exists, a merciful murderer, I will give you two hours to do the things you enjoy. So you can relish in those things. But I'm death's shadow. So in two hours, it's over. Off you go. Enjoy sipping your miyaki. I can't even say that. Macchiato, is that the Walking the dog. Delighting to listen. A bit of buble before munching at the sail loft. All those things that bring you meaning and fullness. Off you go. And then it's over. How would you respond? I'm not sure I enjoy walking the dog 
today, or sipping on that macchiato. And as for Michael Bublé, I always thought he was rubbish anyway. I don't think I'm going to enjoy it because death's shadow makes all these things that usually give me joy and meaning seem so meaningless now. You see, we live in a world that hasn't got a clue on what lies beyond death. As far as you know, this is it. And so we try to to cram every bit of happiness, and yet all these things that we really are after, all the things that we really want, are a love that lasts forever, a home that doesn't decay, a purpose that makes a difference. And yet you and I are going to die. We live in death's shadow, in deep darkness. And the Bible says people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. You see, Christmas is actually all about dealing with this darkness. It's about admitting that without life after death, we actually have a bit of a meaningless existence. It's about being ready to face judgment. You see, we're the first civilization in history to believe that we have to kind of cram all of our significance and all of our happiness and all of our purpose into this life. If there's nothing else to come, we live life to the max and then we die. That is the effect on us all of death's shadow. It's frantic. It seems like life is getting even more frantic, doesn't it? We're desperate not to miss out. Forever checking our phones. Must do this, must do that. Making bucket lists. Because this is all we have. Let's make the most of it, for tomorrow we die. We know it. And Christmas is about dealing with the darkness deep darkness, about death's shadow. And Christmas not only exposes it, but wonderfully, it gives us the resources to deal with it. The passage goes on, on those living in the land of death's shadow, a light has dawned. Oh, how I love the dawn. As a child, um, we also lived in Suffolk, on the Suffolk coast. We looked east. It always brought a sense of hope, doesn't it? I am also started training for the London Marathon next year, and I'm getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I can't quite believe it. Uh, And when I get down to the Thames, often the sun is dawning across the river, and it fills me with hope hope that I'll actually make it home and believe me I'm sure sometimes I'm not going to make it home you see despite the darkness a light has has dawned to dispel death's shadow giving us a way to face judgment now what is that light for to us a child is born The coming of Jesus Christ is that new dawn. From another world, born into this world, to die upon the cross 
so we would not perish. So we, uh, dying, believing in Jesus, have no fear of anything. We don't need to be afraid of anything, of what's to come, even death itself, because we know it's not the end. And you see, only at Christmas can we deal with the darkness. Only at Christmas can we walk through the whole house without fear. And Christmas means fear, no darkness. Christmas means no death. But secondly, it's, Christmas is all about opening a gift. Isaiah says, for to us, did you notice that? To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Who is the son? He's to be called, it says, mighty God. That's an extraordinary claim. It's saying the mighty God who created all things was born. Think about that for a moment. This is a gift. God himself. You see, the gift isn't a message. The gift isn't a, a vision or a list of do's and don'ts. No, it's a, the gift is a person. All our readings, all our, our carols testify to this fact that when Jesus came into the world, he came physically, he came literally. And, and maybe many think, oh, well, it doesn't matter whether Jesus uh, really born in a manger to a real virgin. It doesn't, some people think it doesn't matter that it, it's historical or not. Uh, what matters is that it, it's a good tale that somehow tells me how I can live a, a good life. It doesn't matter, people say, if it's not literally true. But you see, that is not Christianity at all. The claim is the mighty God became a child. Not to give you a moral code, no. But to die for you, to save you from death and judgment. You see, all other religions in the world say you have to do this and you have to do that to get salvation, to obtain paradise, to reach nirvana. Christianity is the complete opposite to that. In every other religion, the guru comes along, the the prophet comes along, the messenger comes along and gives you a message about the things that you need to do to save yourself. But in Christianity, it's not about that. Christianity is about the mighty God becoming one of us to save us from our sins. For to us, a child is born. To us, a child is given. The reason Jesus had to be born is he had to live the life that we could never live. Because we're always mucking up. We're always sinning, we're always rebelling. And so he had to then die on a cross instead of us. He took death's shadow on himself at the cross. So you and I wouldn't have to. He's not just born to give us a message. He's born for us. He's not just living He's not just giving a way of life. No, he's living for us. He's dying for us. Me and you. He's dying in our place as our substitute. See, in every other religion that you meet, 
It's about do this, do that, follow this moral code, follow this rules. But in Christianity, you're saved only, only by what the Savior has done for you. It's so important. The light has dawned. Praise God, the light that can free you from death's shadow. It's simply a gift and you just have to receive it. Receiving it when you say, Father, forgive me and accept me, not because of what I've done, but because of what you have done for me. Not because I did good things, but because of what Jesus has done. He lived the life I should have lived, and he died the death I should have died. Christmas is about those things. Christmas is a free gift to us. It's a free gift to you. The gift of the mighty God born to us. Jesus Christ. And when we receive him, when you receive him, light has dawned. Maybe you need to receive him tonight. And what will you find if you receive him? What will you find? Isaiah says, you'll find brilliant things. You will find a wonderful counsellor. I mean, we're all looking, aren't we, for emotional investment. Someone who really understands us. You know, when you're going through a difficult time, as we often do, you know how good it is to talk to someone who's been through it the same as you, who's walked your same path, who knows personally what you've been through. So think about it like this. Because God became one of us, God truly understands us like nobody else from the inside of our experience. Because you see, God has suffered, hasn't he? God has known his friends abandon him. God has known uh, injustice and has been crushed by it. He's been tortured and he suffered and he died on a cross. He's a wonderful counsellor like no other counsellor. He's also an everlasting father. Even though Jesus is mighty God, he wants to know us. He wants intimacy. He desires to be friends with us. He doesn't want just an idea. He doesn't want to be an idea or a concept or an abstraction. He wants to be a father to us. He wants to be the father that you've always longed for. The father you've never had. An everlasting father who who never gives up on you. And a father who never lets you down. A father who is always there, ready to guide, ready to correct, ready to love you, no matter what, forever and ever. An everlasting father, and he's finally a prince of peace. When we hear the word peace, we often think of peace and tranquility. But the word peace means something much more bigger than that. It's about absolute uh, wholeness, absolute completeness. This peace is about the great reversal of death and decay. So where there is war, there is now reconciliation. Where there is disease and destruction, there is now healing and restoration. This is about God's great rehabilitation process. And it all starts when we receive the gift.
when we receive Jesus Christ. You see, Christmas is about two things. Christmas really is about two things. It's about dealing with the darkness, with death and judgment. It's about admitting that we need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. And secondly, it's about a new dawn. It's about opening that gift of Jesus Christ, uh, who is the mighty God himself, who saves us by taking uh, uh, sin upon himself at the cross. And when we receive, when we receive Jesus into our lives, he, you, you then see an amazing thing. You see a, a wonderful counsellor. You see an everlasting father. You see a prince of peace. Now I'm going to end um, shortly. And if if you are here tonight and you would like to receive Jesus this Christmas, if you would like to do that for the first time, perhaps you've never done that, perhaps you've done it for the hundredth time, I invite you to say the words of this prayer that I'm going to pray now. I invite you to pray with me in your heart and in your head. Let's bow our heads and I'll lead us in prayer. God, our Father, forgive me for my sin. Please accept me because of what, not of what I've done, because, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Thank you that Jesus lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. Thank you that you set me free from sin. He set me free from death's shadow. He set me free from judgment. Please come into my life now as mighty God, wonderful counsellor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. If you are here and you have prayed that prayer for the first time, or, or were you were maybe thinking about praying that prayer, um, can I just suggest three things um, for you? Tell someone. Tell me, tell Chris, tell a friend that you came with. And I'll be down here um, at the front by this Christmas tree. If you want to talk to me about it at all, anything that I've said, I'll be down here by the Christmas tree. And uh, uh, Chris and I have um, two things that we'd like to give you. We'd like to give you a Mark's Gospel. It's an account of Jesus's life. You can take that away and read that for yourself. And also, um, we have little flyers about the Christianity Explore course, which gives you a chance to investigate for yourself Um, the truth of Jesus. And finally, it just remains for me to wish you all a very happy Christmas. Happy Christmas.